0: Traversing the White Mountains is one of the most unique adventures one can find. Uh, their remoteness, the starkness of the tundra landscape, and the beauty of the Sierra and the other adjacent ranges make it a, a really an experience to remember. Um, and you add in the ancient bristlecone pines, the oldest living things on Earth at over 4,000 years, and you truly gain an appreciation for our re- uh, relationship with the natural world. Uh, but you'll have to earn it. Um, these traverses are really rarely done, um, maybe only by several parties each summer and teams often take up to five days. Um, And the trip is seldom done in other seasons. I'm only aware of two wintertime traverses, the first being done by um, some Eastern Sierra legends, including uh, Galen Rowell, on a National Geographic-sponsored expedition in February, 1974.
1: Except those guys did it on skis. Hari would attempt the traverse on foot. I'm Ashley and you are listening to the 51st episode of the Sharp Bend Podcast. Today, I talk with Hari Mix about his attempt to traverse the white mountain range that separates California from Nevada. These are the white mountains. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Mammut is extending their best wishes for you and your family during this time. They want you to stay safe and healthy, And Moot will be giving away a big prize package in the next episode, so make sure to subscribe. For now, hashtag confidently stay. Thank you to Desert Mountain Medicine for being a supporting sponsor of the show.
0: Uh, My name is Hari Mix. Um, I'm a climber from Los Gatos, California, uh, originally from Virginia. But I've been in California since 2004 and kind of climbing in the Sierra um, has been my kind of bread and butter. Lots of um, uh, just backcountry trips, Alpine trips and all that. And then since 2010, I've been climbing in the greater ranges. Uh, I try to do at least one big trip a year um, in Himalayas or other high ranges of Asia or South America. Um, and so, uh, yeah, this this trip uh, kind of represents one of my kind of bigger kind of winter, uh, epics, um, bigger winter trips that I try to do in the Sierra every, every year. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously it didn't go, didn't go according to plan.
1: Which is why you're on the sharp end.
0: I am. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I'm a fan of The Sharp End. I listen to The Sharp End specifically to learn, uh, you know, how to not get into bad situations. So it's weird saying that I'm simultaneously honored to be on the show and also like kind of disappointed <laughs> that I'm on the show.
1: <laughs> well, um, I'm sure other people will learn from your mistake or your, or learn from your accident. So um, yeah. yeah, let's talk about that. What, where, where were you when this happened?
0: I was in the White Mountains, which are the range just east of the Sierra Nevada. Um, they don't get nearly as much attention, but in many ways, they're, they're wilder. Certainly the northern part of the White Mountains is about as uh, big and remote in terms of uh, terrain above treeline as you're going to get anywhere in the lower 48. Um, and so I was trying to do the White Mountain Traverse, uh, which gets done every year, not too commonly in the winter, but uh, it gets done. And it's about 20 miles of um, terrain, all at or above 12,000 feet, more or less uh, everything's trailless. It's completely wild. Um, you basically get up and get on this ridge somehow, and then you basically have to ride it the whole way until you're off. So I was trying to traverse from white mountain peak in the South, which is the third highest peak in California up to boundary peak in the North, which is the highest point in Nevada. Um, so I kind of did a car shuttle, uh, and, and stashed a car and then got a ride around to the Southern, um, uh, end of the traverse and, um, was planning on a, three maybe four day trip.
1: Okay so you had a uh, backpacking backpack?
0: Yeah yeah you know it's for me this was much more of a backpacking style trip than, a, than an alpine climbing trip like no technical gear whatsoever. There was rock on it to fourth class um, but some, something that I could do without a rope um, and so just kind of like a more like a winter backcountry trip and then once you get on the traverse itself it's mostly non-technical. It's mostly walking on beautiful um, tundra, but, um, you know, there are a couple sections of scrambling mixed in. Um, to get onto the traverse, that was actually one of the biggest uh, pieces of the trip. I had to climb the complete East Ridge, uh, excuse me, West Ridge of White Mountain Peak, which is a 9,500 foot route. So um, that That's was the a big second start. Pit. <laughs> That's a big start. But then once you kind of get up there, then you're up in this other world. You can see the entire Sierra laid out before you and you're just walking, uh, or so I thought. Um,
1: and, and what month did you start this three-day, three-to-four-day trip?
0: This was right before Thanksgiving. Um, okay. So I'd this been, I, of, of, yeah, of 2019. And, 2019. and what I wanted to do was um, basically uh, get the conditions just right. So I needed enough snow to melt for water uh, but I didn't want enough snow to where it would slow travel. I needed to be able to move quickly cause it's so big. Um, and so the snow conditions I'd been eyeing all season, I had really been eyeing how the whole fall shaped up and it f- shaped up perfectly. And then starting about three weeks before the trip, uh, I was eyeing the weather forecasts cause I knew that the weather up there, I mean, it was really, it's a committing route. So everything has to be right when you're on the route. And, um, The the weather forecasts, I I started checking five different forecasts, uh, you know, three weeks beforehand, (laughs) daily, um, and really getting the lay of the land, getting some of the historical records in place, and then checking all the webcams as well. And that helped me get a sense of what the snow conditions were like. So um, there was actually just a perfectly small storm just beforehand that kind of dusted it just perfectly with the exact right amount of snow. And then um, the way it was shaping up was that the weather was going to be good. Um, but there was a storm coming like the day before Thanksgiving. So, um, I, I planned on basically getting going on Saturday and being off the route by Monday, uh, Tuesday at the latest.
1: Yeah. That seems like a good plan with the, some buffer in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and everything did go according to plan. I, I, uh, was able to, um, to basically hike into this like nice interim camp. It was very, very beautiful. Uh, And then get all the way up to the summit of White Mountain Peak and um, and actually make camp on the traverse part way um, on Sunday night. And that's when things really uh, deteriorated.
1: How come? What happened?
0: Well, it just started getting more blustery. And at first I thought, oh, man, here you go. Like you're alone and you're pitching a tent in the wind. Like, okay, just focus, you know, and uh, we'll get through it. And I did get through it. I chopped a nice tent platform. I guide the tent out super well. Um, I had a nice dinner, went to bed, but, you know, through the night, I just started getting slapped in the face um, <laughs> by, by the, the side of my wall? tent. Yeah, by oh, yeah. the tent wall. And, you know, just feeling like, hey, man, this is actually like pretty uh, Himalayan here. I, like, this is actually like not so good. And then it just kept getting worse. That was probably, you know, three in the morning. And then by six in the morning, it was like really bad to where it was like, ah, I think leaving the, you know, the tent is potentially unsafe. Um, and so I was really confronted with the decision there. I, I, that's when I reached out to my fiance and, um, got on the in-reach and, uh, uh, with her and, and basically said, Hey, can you check these, you know, forecasts for me? I checked the the weather on the in-reach. She said there was maybe a chance that it was going to improve a little bit between 10 and 11 AM. Um, you know, that wasn't really good enough kind of of an answer for me. Um, and where I was at that time uh, was that I was just at the near the southern end of the uh, traverse, but I had crossed this really delicate fourth class section. Um, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to do that in, in those kind of winds. Um, and so that kind of put me on this northern segment of the traverse. I think I was about 20 miles from my car and uh, all of all trail lists, 12,000 foot ridgeline
1: you know exposed
0: exposed Um, the end of the traverse also is the most um technical um so that was another consideration was okay let's let's see how these flats go and these coals uh early on in the traverse um but i still have to deal with this whole section at the end um so that's something to think about um as well you know just in terms of kind of commitment right yeah. So I made the decision to get out of the tent. I thought that staying in the tent with this well, impending storm, it wasn't really a good option. And
1: I you thought weren't that, sleeping anyway. <laughs> Come on. Well, actually I
0: did. I, I stayed in the tent kind of long because I was kind of dilly-dallying and waiting to get more information. But once I realized that I wasn't going to be able to get like the answer I wanted, or there wasn't any other piece of you know, great information that I needed. I didn't need any different gear. I didn't need it. You know, there was nothing to do. I was just by myself. I was in the mountains. The weather wasn't good. And I had to decide if I was going to go forward or backward, or I think that was, you know, or stay. And I think basically forward was the only choice that I thought was a, a decent possibility at
1: the time. And so at this point, so you're thinking about could stay, you know, moving forward. And when you say that there are blustery conditions, we're talking about wind specifically, or was there any other type of weather that you were concerned about in this moment?
0: Um, wind specifically, although it was g- kind of a ground blizzard, um, and that got way, way worse. Um, okay. but yeah, so kind of ground blizzard. So visibility wind. Yeah. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Um, like everything was pretty consequential. Breaking camp was possible, uh, but consequential, but I was on the, the lee side of this ridge. So I was actually in a pretty good, pretty protected spot, but it sounded like a freight train in the coal right next to my, to my, uh, ledge. So, um, I didn't know what it was going to be like crossing the coals and crossing the flats. And as it turned out, it was much worse when I got out of the tent and things continued to deteriorate. So I think part of it was the terrain that was protecting me in my tent. And partly, it was also that the storm really picked up. Um, and so unbeknownst to me, this was actually uh, a couple things going on. Um, it, it turned out to be the lowest pressure ever recorded for a Western US storm. Um, Perfect. Yeah, yeah. And it, and, it and became that what wasn't was called
1: any a, of the forecasts?
0: That was the storm okay. that I was seeing out in front of me, you know, three days out. Um, But what happened is it moved forward. It moved earlier and it rapidly intensified and became what's called a bomb cyclone. So it dropped over 24 millibars in 24 hours. Um, And the wind event in the, you know, on the front end of this storm was what was really unexpected. And so essentially when I was in the tent is when the National Weather Service Uh, issued this like wind event warning. And they actually said in their national level forecast that the very, very worst place to be was gonna be between Benton and Chalfant Valley along US Highway 6. Well, I was between Benton and Chalfant Valley, 9,000 feet above Highway 6. They closed Highway 6 due to the wind. Semis were blown over. In the Mammoth Lakes uh, airport parking lot, there was a 94 mile per hour recorded gust. I was 7,000 feet above that. And it, and it picked up all this gravel and destroyed all the uh, cars in the parking lot. It broke the power poles, the wooden power poles at Mono Lake. Uh, and the highest recorded wind from the event was at Crowley Lake. It was about 10 miles due west of me, uh, but much lower. And that was 101. So I bet that in those calls and I bet on those flats, it was significantly higher. I had direct line of sight across the Pacific to Asia. It, you know I was in uh, a very very bad place right I mean it was so remote that I'm over a day from anybody else um, there's no uh, real escape route off this route once you get on it you pretty much need to go forwards or backwards everybody says if you if you read trip reports and stuff like that to not even consider getting you know bailing off this traverse at any time um, sorry
1: you were in a bad position.
0: It was a bad. It was a really bad spot. I didn't know about any of that. This is right. all. I you know. I live to learn these facts about the storm. But um, all I know is that once I hit those flats, that I was fully overpowered. Um, and, you know, annoying camping aside, we've all been in that situation. Many of us have of not sleeping or holding onto the tent or things like that. But when you actually are out in the wind getting lifted and getting flipped. I mean, I'm 160 pounds. I probably had a 40 pound pack. So it was casually tossing me. And then it was ground blizzard conditions. So the visibility is terrible and it's extremely disorienting and it's extremely overpowering. Um, I've never felt that like flat out humbled by nature. You know, <laughs> It took me about an hour before like, yeah, it doesn't really matter how tough you think you are. Like this isn't, there's no way you're getting 20 more miles of this. It's like, you will not survive. You will not make it. Um, That's what was
1: going through your head.
0: It it, it was, it happened pretty quickly for me after getting totally lifted and and blown into Nevada a couple of times where I was like, there's no way I can actually make it to Nevada. I mean, let's paint the picture a little more clearly. So the air temperature is probably five degrees. Fahrenheit um, the wind is clearly over a hundred um, it's a ground blizzard I can't read a map it's too windy to get into anything in my pack so throw out any idea that you have of like bivying hunkering down there's no um, rocks or anything to hide behind because they've all been blown off the ridge so there's actually nothing to hide behind or anything like that in many places like you're really 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 Exposed, Uh, it's it's just barren tundra. It's it's really really beautiful when it's beautiful, but um, it's you're so at the mercy of the conditions there. Um, uh, You know, anything like oh, like light a stove and you know brew up or whatever. Absolutely not. There's nothing like that that can be done. I I had extra layers in my backpack that I wanted to wear, and I couldn't get. My pack off, get into my pack. There, There's no real way to do that when you're getting lifted.
1: Yeah, and your pack would just get blown from your hands.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's pointless. Yeah, it, it's pretty humbling. Like, it, it didn't, it, I was trying to force it for so long. I was like leaning at like a 45 degree angle going into it and all that. And I, I just, it just didn't work. And then I did find a rock and I did hunker behind it. It barely covered anything. It was ground blizzard just nuking all around me. I couldn't access my map. And, um, and I was trying to evaluate ways off. Um, and I, I just, uh, I just realized then that if I didn't keep moving and if I didn't get off the ridge, even though that's the worst possible thing by the book, um, that, that I wasn't going to survive, like not even very long.
1: Why does, why does mountain project and summit posts and all those online resources say that you don't want to bail off the ridge until you finish?
0: Well (laughs) there's there's like there's no trails, there's no infrastructure, there's really terrible rock, there's horrible bushwhacking. Um it's terrible. So it's a fault block mountain range. So if you've been to the eastern Sierra, you know that the eastern Sierra is really steep. The western White Mountains are very steep and they make a very steep valley, the Owens Valley. So if you go down into the California side, you have to deal with the fact that you're going down the steep side of a ten thousand foot descent of unknown quality. I mean, truly unknown. Like I, I honestly don't know. I really highly doubt that anybody's ever been where I was on this self rescue. Like my, the way that I bailed is probably unique. I, I,
1: so you did bail off the ridge.
0: I did bail off the ridge, so I I basically had four choices. Backward, which has that cliff section, that fourth class section that was too delicate. I was getting blown over on perfectly flat ground. There's no way you can pull a fourth class move when you're not able to hold, you're not able to stay on your feet on flat ground. Done. I can't go forward. It's too far. It has the same ridge problem, uh, and it has same. uh, You know, it has maybe third class rock heading. That's 18 miles in front of me. Good luck with that. Then I have to the right, I could see down in Nevada. Now, I actually did my PhD research down there. I'm a geologist. And like, so I did know that uh, valley, there's only one town, it's a very, very tiny town called Dyer, Nevada. And it was about 20 miles as the crow flies from me. And now I did have plenty of food and water and, um, you know, and and fuel, I should say, uh, and clothing and, Maybe in retrospect, maybe that was the better move, um, but there was no resources down there, no infrastructure. Um, there's, I had no maps of that, uh, like some of the distant parts of that. I had the maps for the parts closer to me. Um, and there's no search and rescue or anything like that. So there's basically no resources. California side had all my communications and resources and um, search and rescue and all of that, but it was steeper. And it was, but it's also shorter uh, because it's the steeper side; it's a shorter side. And um, it was very, very hard to even look into California because of the wind. <laughs> but, um, but I chose California, and what I had to do to get off this ridge is that football sled push drill. You know, like the one where they're pushing the weight forward in the squat? Yeah. 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 Basically, I took my trekking poles and I would squat down and I would do maximum strength lunge forward. And then when it gusted, I would drop and hit the the deck and I would just uh, stay on my stomach until the gust passed. And then I would do that again and again and again and again. Um, And that's how I got just off the very top part of the ridge. Um, cause I bailed from like 12,600 and I had to get to under 6,000 feet. Um, it, it, probably took me the first 500 vertical feet before I could like continuously walk in the, in those conditions. And I mean, it still wasn't pleasant, but I was making like st- steady movement, but at the top, that was actually impossible
1: to stay on your feet.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when the gusts came, I just purposefully dropped to the ground just so that I didn't lose any ground. And then when I was between gusts, I would immediately pop up and try to just do, do the sled push. And I went back into the gym uh, afterwards and I was pushing the sled about 325 pounds. It felt pretty similar. It it really, it really was a lot, a lot to contend with. I've never really dealt with anything like this. uh, And I have been on I've been in, I've bailed off K2 in a storm. Like I, I've, I've been in situations like I've been in the Tien Shen where I had to like dig the tent out every two hours. Cause that's how, you know, bad the storm was. I mean,
1: and these winds didn't compare.
0: This was, no, I've never experienced anything like this.
1: Did you, did you ever feel defeated? For, Cause you know, at this point you're, you're only 500 feet off of, off of the ridge yeah. And you still have, you know, 6 6000 more feet to descend before you're at yeah. the valley floor. So, yeah. did you, like what were you feeling? Did you feel defeated or what was going through your head?
0: In the actual wind, I did feel defeated later, but in the actual wind event, I felt no emotion. <laughs> I was past emotions and I was past choices. It was it was really like um it was a it was a split second decision uh, at the end of a long period of deliberation but it got to right. a point where i i didn't feel like i could do anything other than what i was doing
1: okay yeah. so it's just a determination
0: yeah that's i kind of think the theme of this whole thing because it's a two day thing this all started in terms of like me bailing was like 9 a.m. on Monday, and I didn't know if I was going to live until 2 p.m. on Tuesday.
1: You had doubts of surviving.
0: Yeah, the whole time. Yeah. So this the 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 phase one was the wind, and then the 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 next interval was actually relatively moderate, and then there was another like long drawn out period of self rescue and determination. That, um, that's where the feeling like defeat, feeling really trapped and feeling, uh, really like you're not going to make it came in, um, within the wind itself. I, I didn't have, I honestly didn't even have time to think about it. It was just, it was so physical. Um, and I got out of it relatively quickly. I was only in the wind, like the type of wind that I'm talking about for like under two hours probably. Um, but that was plenty.
1: Right, because then you're freezing cold and oh, yeah. and your and your body is exhausted. And your and your and your mind is also exhausted from just working so hard.
0: Oh yeah. It was an all out all out effort physically. And then what happened is I got down below it and you know, not to say that it was beautiful out or whatever, but it was actually okay. It was okay. Uh, And I'm bailing down this ridge and the upper part I can tell is going to be doable, shitty in places, but doable. And it was, it was like loose and, but I've never been so happy to see scree or a little bit of bushwhacking or a little bit of like (laughs) stupid kind of third, fourth class, like kind of nasty rock. Um, And I got through all that. I just methodically worked through all that, Um, but I could tell that it was getting going to get more intense down below and I was genuinely concerned about it and I was trying to be efficient with my time. I got down to about 11,000 feet and I, um, tried to light my stove, but it was still too windy. So that gives you a sense. Like I thought it was okay out, but it was still, um, I couldn't, I couldn't brew up. So I only had a quarter liter of water, um, for the entire day. And I think the day was about 15 hours. Um, So, so that, that also played into it was the kind of extreme dehydration that crept in towards the end of the day. Um, and I could have started the day with more water, but again, I was in the tent, not feeling good about things and being like, you know what, let's just get out and assess this and you can brew up, you can find a protected place and brew up later. And and that was incorrect. Um, Were you
1: finding any water, um, in the sort of in the zone that you bailed?
0: There, there's no liquid water until you get much lower, and I, w- I did get down to liquid water that night. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, I kept going down and basically made it, made it through a bunch of like kind of just m- like pretty mediocre terrain. But hey, whatever. Uh, down to about nine thousand feet, and then there were these series of pinnacles, and on the left hand side, uh, they were like. Cliffed out, and you can tell that the rock is horrible. And then on the right hand side, they were, that's the north side, they were snow covered rocks. And I opted to, with micro spikes, do these like series of long, complicated traverses around all these. I would pop up into the notches between the pinnacles, scope out a chute or anything like that to get around or stay on the ridge. And then I'd usually just keep going, keep going, keep going. And I come up to the last of the pinnacles, I scoot around it. And as I'm reascending to the ridge, I see the most, you want to talk defeated, like the most awful thing. I see this thing and I said out loud, (laughs) I said out loud, if that's my ridge, I'm calling SAR. And it was my ridge. uh, And I did call SAR. It was about, it it was several hundred feet of like five, eight rock, horrible quality and absolutely atrocious um, options on either side. Like Definitely death options. I'm, at this point, I'm 3,000 feet above these canyons. So, you know, half the Grand Canyon of terrible terrain. And um, I'm really, really, really cliffed out. And it was mid to late afternoon. I knew that the sun was going to go down in an hour, hour and a half. And I um, obviously looked, I climbed a, a spire and got a, a good sense of where I was. But then I, I, re- I realized, hey, I need to I need to reach out. Um, so I called um, the guy who dropped me off um, with the car shuttle um, and I called him just to let him know, Hey, I'm not going to make it to like, uh, you know, where I said we were going to make it to. Um, Cause I had actually reached out to him before and told him that I just let him know that I was bailing. Um, and then I called the ranger station in Bishop and the, the first person I talked to, I think probably thought I was like a, like a, hired tourists and was like, Oh, nobody's going to fly a helicopter in the, in these winds. And I'm like, look, I know that I know that <laughs> no one's coming for me. Um, I'm calling because I need help, like route finding. I need extra like eyes on this problem. And I need to like get the line of communication open because they probably will need a rescue. Um, I knew like how precisely how screwed I was. I was really, I was under uh, a mile and a half from flat ground as the crow flies. I was so close and really it was just that last pinnacle to where I could, I could literally see the sagebrush slope leading right down. And I knew I could just walk out to the road. Um, but I had no way of getting over there. I, I, I needed to figure out the next, you know, 600 meters of the traverse and it'd be done. Um, that was crushing, um, that kind of a defeat. Yeah. um, I got transferred to Inyo County Search and Rescue. um, And um, it turns out I wasn't in Inyo County, but that's where they transferred me. And uh, he was like, well, you're gonna have to go with Mono County, but hang on, I'll actually help you. So he plotted a a thing and he was like dead set on um, this guy, Victor Lawson, a great guy for Inyo SAR. He was just dead set on like, dude, he gave me a pep talk. Look, you're in bail mode. like, you're just going to have to figure out how some of these drainages work. The one that's like 200 feet um, uh, away from you looks like it goes on Google Earth. And I could see it with my eyes. I'm like, man, this really, really doesn't look like it's going to go. Um, but, hey, this is the plan. I'll, I'll, I'll do your plan. So, and then, and then I got transferred to Mono County Search and Rescue. And we basically thumbs up the plan from, from Inyo. And what I, what we kind of left off with was that I would, um, I would, uh, try to descend this route and that if it didn't work, well, regardless of whether or not it worked, they would start up a team up the Canyon to the South of me. Um, they would start up at dawn. So, um, so that was good to know that at least people were coming up that drainage. And if I could get down into that drainage, that there were resources down there. Um, but I was 1700 vertical feet above that drainage. So, and now it's basically just about dark. Um, and, um, trying to think, I mean, there's so many elements of this, but I was traversing back and around these pinnacles. It was taking forever. I tried the first drainage. It really, really didn't go. I mean, it's really beyond sketchy. The, the quality of this rock. I mean, I've never actually been on worse rock in my life. What do you mean?
1: It just, you just grab it and it kind of crumbles
0: handholds were breaking like routinely like i dislodged a block bigger than like my desk um, that i was standing on so i'm ho- like yeah like you lose your footholds um really bad and everything just everything just gets over over steep it's all hydrothermally altered so it's all this hydrothermally altered garbage that funnels down into these over steepened shoots and so you don't really know if you step on even if you're on scree you don't really know if the scree is going to stop. Um, so it makes you have to be really, really cautious, even on what normally would be like pretty straightforward scree. Um, so, and it's also, it's night, you know, I'm, I'm doing this by headlamp. I got a, I got a multi-day pack on, um, you know, the, the whole thing just felt more committing um, than a lot of other kind of you know than a lot of stuff i have done um i i basically systematically descended and then reascended these drainages, and i remember getting back to the beginning of these four pinnacles this traverse that i had done earlier where i went around the the north side in the snow i got back to the basically the start of that after exploring this whole garbage face i mean really scary stuff and um I uh, I had my phone on because I was actually checking in with um, the SAR folks. And um, I saw that my fiance's mom called, or was calling. And so I, I, I'm I like, all right, I'll pick this up. This is really weird. But I had been trying to call my fiance and, and she was like, hey, do you know where Michelle is? Like, um, uh, you know, like, have you have you talked to her? And like, it was just really weird conversation. And then she like finally reveals that like, Um, that they had received a call from a sheriff's office and that they had found Michelle's car in Nevada. I drove her car out to Nevada.
1: Oh. (laughs) And
0: and that they were looking for her and that there was actually like kind of a manhunt in both Nevada and in California. So then the sheriff's office in California calls, basically everybody's like uh, calling, looking for Michelle. I had to answer while I'm in the middle of this, I had to answer all the like, did you murder your fiance questions. Um, and then finally, at the end of these conversations, like, oh, by the way, how are, how are you doing? And I'm like, not not good at all, actually. Um, and by harassing? the way, your
1: timing is not great either. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I really spent the very last minutes of daylight doing that. Um, but um, I, I ended up after that, uh, being able to speak with her and letting her know, because, you know, s- same thing, the search and rescue operation was underway. She was my emergency contact. And so I wanted to let her know that, like here's what's actually happening so that you, you don't provide any misinformation to authorities. Like I didn't want her to go with armed with very little information and tell them something. So I wanted to get to to her and say, okay, like I, there is search and rescue involved. Here's what's going on. Um, and all that. And I also wanted to put a good face on it, but it, you know, it's hard to, when you're like, you're on this ridge and you know, it just doesn't seem like anything's working at that point. I'd tried like basically about like five options and I would try them to the absolute maximum of my ability before I would reascend, traverse and then descend down the next one and the next one and the next one. And, um, so that, that goes to the kind of determination piece. There were a number of times when I kind of did this systematic exploration of different shoots and drainages. Um, but I finally found the one that I thought would go, um, And that took me almost the entire way down. Um, and it was fine. It was annoying, but it was fine. Um, but then what happens at the very bottom of this Canyon, um, is that it basically totally cliffs out and goes into this narrow slot and it's sickening. Um, I have, I have photos of this, uh, this section, it's just really, really messed up. And of course now it's night. I've been going a long time. I don't have water. Um, I, you know I'm really I have blurry vision due to the dehydration, and I feel like I'm just not sure what I should do. should I reascend all the way back up to where I was, uh, or should I basically try to keep going? Um, I started exploring ways through this and it's night. It's very disorienting. I, I don't know if you've been in that situation with your headlamp and fatigue and dehydration but there's just a lot of things where things might, your mind can kind of play tricks on you and it's very uh, hard to kind of evaluate what you're really looking at. One of the yeah. most crushing blows of the entire thing, probably the most crushing blow psychologically, the entire ordeal was I found some snow and um, I continued to explore some drainages, but I'm like, you know what? I don't even care. Like I can get back to this snow. I can spend the night out. No problem. Like, um, like like just know that you're good here. You can wait until daytime. Maybe it's better not to uh, be climbing some of this stuff. Cause I was doing multiple sections of five, seven, um, uh, you know, in, in this, in this condition, it was really hard for me. I'm not that great of a rock climber. So I was really climbing close to my limit. Um, and, and, you know, I was really doing it on, on terrible rock. Uh, <laughs> Well, I come back from basically exploring about 12 different choices, all close to each other, but 12 different choices to get down to the creek um, where I really want to be. And um, I come back to the snow and it's not, it's, it's a calcite deposit, like an evaporite deposit on the rock that was sparkling with my headlamp from like 10 meters away.
1: So it wasn't water?
0: It wasn't water. I was so defeated. I was just really beat. I mean, and and by the way, you can hear the rushing water below you this whole time. I mean, I'm really, I'm like a hundred feet from it. Well, I made this hail Mary attempt. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go down this one more spot. And if not, I'm going to actually reascend the whole way back up to where there's snow. I think it's more important that I drink tonight than this will take me not that long in the morning. And I can see. Uh, so I go down this, dry waterfall where the quote unquote snow was. And it's about 170 feet. I actually laid it out on Google Earth from the creek. And it's, surpri- it, it's really, really smooth, but it's also surprisingly sticky due to this deposit. It was like really weird, but it felt I felt really confident on it. It was like, okay, holy crap, this could work. And I get so close to the bottom, can't do it, but I traverse out and then I do this like really just sickening, like down climb, (laughs) uh, this dihedral thing. Yeah. I I mean, really don't want to repeat what I did. Um, uh, you know, if there were like three or four different pitches of, of things on this, uh, whole rock ordeal that night that I did that were, that were just, um, way past my normal risk tolerance, way past, um, but I made it down. I just started just chugging water till brain freeze and then waiting and then chugging water until it brain freeze and then chugging. Um, and um, then I found a place to bivy. I tried to make as good of a tent platform as I could, but all the rocks are sharp. make the tent immediately like and there's a rock probably two and a half feet in the in the tent. So i like I immediately ripped my tent immediately pop my sleeping pad. So I'm just like laying on my my backpack and my clothes for insulation uh, from the ground. And, um, the scariest moment, I actually had a good, good dinner and I had a whole bunch of like good water. So I was just chugging water, um, that whole evening. Um, and I got to bed about 11 PM and then I, uh, the scariest moment of the whole thing happened at 1 AM and I'm actually asleep in my tent. And, um, I just hear the loudest boom and all this, these other booms, and it's really close. A huge rockfall event had come down the very face that I descended, this 1,700-foot face, launched off the lip of the slot that I'm in, right down the waterfall pitch that I downclimbed, and I'm camped about 50 feet away from it, and basically all these exploding boulders and the kind of shrapnel is coming like around my tent
1: this mountain range does not want you to be on it.
0: I've never been. Yeah. Same. Th- this, this whole trip has all the superlatives of like basically every mountain trip I've ever done. Cause I mean, I've never been, you know, in or around a rock fall event like that. This was a big rock fall event. It was as loud as a very nearby lightning strike. It was very, very loud. <laughs> it was so scary. Um, and, um, you know, at that point, I was just like, you know what? I'm just on the ride. Like, this thing is completely in charge. Like, I have, like, my decisions may or may not matter. Like, this is completely up to the mountain at this point. I really felt like that way. I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to submit to this thing. This thing is, like, clearly way bigger than me. So, um, yeah, uh, I I was, that that said, despite that incident, I was really optimistic. I knew people were coming up the canyon to meet me. I knew I was under two miles up that canyon. I knew that um, I was well fed. I, had, I was well hydrated. Um, and I just knew that, it was, you know, that I'm just going to, hey, I'm just going to wake up and it's going to work out. But this whole time, you know, the whole reason I've been keeping moving is because that storm is coming. And now it's sounding like the storm is coming, um, basically nightfall. So I need to get out you know, by, by nightfall. Um, and and that was really this thing. It's not only is it a time, you know, a a pass fail, you know, kind of life or death test, some of this uh, stuff, you know, this free soloing and all that, but it's a time test, um, because nothing has really changed weather wise just because I'm out of the wind doesn't really matter because they were calling for five feet of snow to drop on me. Um, you know, starting that nightfall. And it did, so um, so it's important that I get out of there. I knew that you know once the snow started, that um, that rescue wasn't going to be any uh, happening at all. Um, no. So um, I got up. I got a pre-dawn start. You know, I was like, hey, you know, I don't want to be caught in my tent sleeping soundly by these SAR guys. So I <laughs> like, I want to like look like I'm trying to get out of here too. <laughs> so uh, I did, and I, I got after it. And immediately it was terrible, but I was like, you know what? This is fine. Like I will go through any briar patch you want. I will break through any willows or cottonwoods you want. And some of it was awful. There was a lot of belly crawling through, you know, 20 meters of briars. It was really, it's actually, it's also the worst bushwhacking I've ever done. It is for sure. Um, I was making decent time, even though it was, you know, just terrible and you're doing all these stream crossings and everything's really awkward and you're getting cut up and whatnot. Um, But, but I was moving and I had on my map on my phone, like the kind of waypoint for when I could see the topo contours um, broaden out. And so where it flattened out, I knew I'd be fine, but you could see how cliffed out it was. And I could see that I was about, you know, a mile and a half away from, from being done with it. like, awesome. They should be coming up here soon. I wonder when I'm going to see them. Uh, turns out i never really did i got to a my first of many horrible impasses and these were also in terms of just feeling defeated the very first waterfall that i came to and it's a narrow slot so you've got vertical walls on either side of you it chokes out um to this one little point and it's you know 100 plus feet and um it's just awful um, to to see that and to look at the walls immediately around the waterfall and be like, OK, I can't climb these. And so you actually have to backtrack, go up and then start soloing uh, up and around the waterfall. So there were times um, where it would take me an hour to go 10 feet. And there were I looked on Google Earth and there were about 10 waterfalls all of which required a creative solution and and several of which were like really, really terrible solutions. Um, And I'm like getting closer and closer and closer to the end. And I just can't get there fast enough until it's down into the feet. And um, the very last time that I didn't know if I was going to live was 680 feet from the end. It, It really, really choked out and it, um, I just couldn't tell if there was going to be a solution or not. And I, I saw two like bighorn tracks on the right side of the Creek. And then I saw this upward sloping ledge that I remember this upward sloping ledge that I had walked past. So I backtracked to it just a tiny ways, looked at it and was like, man, this thing goes into no man's land and it goes around the corner to the right. Well, I'll try it. It was about a six inch wide ledge and it was sloping downward and then it got a little narrower than that at the top blank wall so you're just kind of shuffling along going higher and higher and higher up this face like where am i going and i wrap around and then there's this terrible drainage but crossable i can see a bighorn track on it i follow this ledge system across there's another one there's another one i mean really 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 terrible rock in that case and then i down climbed a talus slope and then i basically like jumped the last you know little Tiny portion, um, just down to the creek bed, and I, I also thought at that point, hey, you know what, I'm low enough. Maybe I'll get in the creek, but I didn't want to risk hypothermia earlier on. But by the very end of the day, if that ledge hadn't gone, I would have gotten in the creek, and um, just you know, hey, if there's not a waterfall below me, I'll try it. Um, see if I can just do it, force you know, force it. Well, I I it worked. Um, And I start walking out through all these like thigh deep leaves and some more bushwhacking. And then it just starts to broaden up and it becomes this big dry wash. And then my in-reach starts blowing up because there's the SAR coordinator and the SAR, there are two SAR teams looking for me, four people each. And they're all like (laughs) asking what's going on. I mean, the whole time that I dropped down into that drainage, I was out of SAR communication, or uh, I was out of inreach communication, and of course I was out of cell communication. So I knew, as well in the back of my head, I wasn't really thinking about it much, but I knew that um, that uh, everyone back home was uh, probably beyond worried, and I knew that SAR was oh, yeah. probably going to um, the wrong coordinates, or they were just they had no no info at all as well. And so uh, basically I I my first communication with Sar was like like um like I'm okay walking on flat ground now like I'm in a red jacket blue backpack like just retreat to the cars I'll meet you at the cars not that I knew where their cars were but I figured I could figure it out with the map. Um and I heard a hello you know at some point later as I'm walking down this wash uh and I I tried to respond didn't get any, get through. And then I heard a a louder one. I look up on the ridge and there are these three figures on the ridge waving and I'm waving back to them. They definitely see me. And I just sit down and chug water and just wait for them to come down.
1: I asked Hari what he learned from all of this. And he had some great advice. First, even though he did look at five different weather forecasts prior to his attempt at the White Mountains, he says to do more research specifically get more detailed local knowledge of the microclimates. He learned later that the winds he experienced were common knowledge with the many locals, but no weather reports said anything about it. Second, the shoulder seasons are a little more risky than the summer months, and he was rolling the dice on a very committing route. So he says, put some more thought into your route choice decisions and maybe save the big ones for the perfect season. And three, Really know your evac routes. Hari wonders if he could have bailed into the Nevada side instead of off into the California side. What lessons did you learn from Hari's story? Send me an email at sharpend at americanalpineclub.org and let me know. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave me a review on iTunes, tell a friend, or share this on your social media. Thank you to Mammut for being the headlining sponsor, and thank you to my good friends at Desert Mountain Medicine. Due to the uncertain nature of the coronavirus pandemic, Desert Mountain Medicine has canceled and or postponed courses in order to decrease the virus transmission. The DMM admin team has been working long hours to update their policies, protocols, and course curricula because at DMM, they feel strongly that innovative hands-on learning is essential, and they are optimistic that they will be able to provide this in the near future. With all of this going on, DMM staff believe that wilderness medicine training is more important than ever before, so check back on their website for updates on future courses. And remember, play hard and be smart.